Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can come together as a family to worship you. Lord, we thank you for both the blessings and the trials of this past week that grow our faith. And Father, as we pause from the busyness of life, I pray that you would speak to us this morning as we open your sacred pages and read from it. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. It was my freshman year in high school, and I was assigned to take a certain Bible class called The Life and Teachings of Jesus. Basically, in the class, we would go through the book Desire of Ages, chapter by chapter, and learn the life, life and teachings of Christ. It was a fantastic class if I had had the right mindset at the time. But my teacher of that class, it was her responsibility to select portions of the book Desire of Ages for the students to memorize. We memorized some great passages, one that has stuck with me from that time till now was Desire of Ages, page 25, Christ was treated as we deserved, that we might be treated as he deserved. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness in which we had no share. Beautiful passage. Of, passage. Wonderful passages to memorize. However, about halfway through my freshman year, a friend of mine and myself, we decided that we were wasting a lot of time memorizing. We decided that we, we wanted to get good grades in that class, but we also wanted to have some time to fool around during study hall. We wanted to have our cake and eat it too. And so we came up with a plan. How can we do this? We're taking, it's taking so much time, all of this memorizing, and we're not getting as much time to hang out. What can we do? So we came up with this great plan. The night before we would be quizzed on our memory verse, we would sit at our desk with our desire of ages and a clean sheet of paper. You know that clean, those white sheets of paper with the blue lines on them, the ones you probably haven't seen since you were in high school or college? We would get one of those out, and we would take a pencil, and we would very carefully sketch out the memory verse, very lightly. And when we finished, you could stand back and look at the piece of paper, and it almost looked like there was nothing on it. Oh, we thought we were so clever. <laughs> and so the next morning, we would go to our class, and we would take out our clean sheets of paper, and we would write in ink, we would copy over in ink the memory verse, and then we would erase the, uh, the pencil marks. And everything looked great. We were getting good grades in our class, 100% on all of our memory verses. And this went on for quite some time, and we thought, man, we have beat the system. And then one day... When my teacher said, 
get out your piece of paper and, you know, start writing down your memory verse. We got our piece of paper, our clean sheets of paper. And we started our work of deception. But something different happened this day, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye that my teacher got up from her desk, and that made me a little nervous. And then she started pacing around the classroom in between the desks, and I thought, oh, this is not looking good. And then she went over to my friend's desk. I didn't want to look too close at what was going on over there. I just, I was feverishly trying to write this memory verse down as fast as I could. And then it happened. And I heard those footsteps. They were like the sound of a hammer coming my direction. And if you could have saw me, I was probably sweating bullets. And before I knew it, I was sitting in the shadow of my teacher. And she was looking over my shoulder. And I was about halfway through copying down my memory verse. And now the, the light sketch at the bottom that I thought nobody could see as I looked at it now, I thought all the world could probably see it. And as she looked over my shoulder, I knew it. I was done. And she very quietly reached over, and she grabbed the piece of paper, and she pulled it off my desk and walked back to her desk and sat down. Teachers just know how to make students feel very uncomfortable. I think it's something they teach them in college. I don't know. But anyways, all the class, for the rest of the class, she didn't say anything. She taught her class and all of that, and I sat there and was wondering what in the world was going to happen. You know, punishments are always worse in anticipation than they are in reality. And so the end of class came, and I was stuffing my books in my backpack, and I was getting ready to walk out with all the rest of the students. And she said, oh, Jason and Peter, can you please stop? I want to talk to you. Please step into my office. This teacher happened to also be the principal. <laughs> Judgment day had come, right? And, you know, it's kind of dawned on me that, you know, it, it seemed like everything was going well. These seeds of deception that I was sowing seemed like everything was paying off. That I, you know, to my teacher, it appeared like I was getting good grades. To all of my fellow students, they thought I was one of those students who didn't need to study to get good grades. You remember those ones, don't you? I was far away from that. Everything seemed to be going well. I was getting good grades. Everybody thought things were going well. And then that seed of deception bore fruit. And that fruit was not too sweet to eat. You know, for the rest of my, my freshman year and even into my sophomore year, I unfortunately did not learn the lesson that I should have that day. I continued to sow seeds of deception and had one trial after another come, come into my life as a young person. And now as I look back, I see that it's just a natural result of what I was doing. Got to the point where I almost ended up getting myself expelled out of the school and would have missed out on one of the greatest experiences of my life, meeting my Savior for myself. 
you will be happy to know that I did graduate with a high school diploma. I heard one amen. <laughs> I didn't get a 4.0, but I did finish in the end. But you know, I robbed myself of many wonderful blessings. Desire of Ages, page 25, has stuck with me my whole life. And I wonder what would have happened if I would have taken the time to memorize all of those memory verses, how much they would have been a blessing to me throughout my life. But because I, I chose to sow seeds of deception, I robbed myself of a tremendous blessing. Now, this is a concept that we are well acquainted with. Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, for whatsoever a man soweth, ah, you're good Bible scholars, that what we sow is what we reap. Now, usually we think of this in a negative context, that if you do bad, bad happens, and that's true. But it's also good to look at this in the light of a positive context, that when we, sow, or when we do good things, good things happen. So it happens both ways. In fact, Jesus said, if you sow to the flesh, you reap the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you reap the Spirit. You reap everlasting life. So it goes both ways. Both good and bad can happen depending on what we choose to sow. This morning, I want to share with you just quickly three life lessons that we learn from seeds. Three life lessons that we learn from seeds. The first life lesson that we learn is one that you know, that we all know, that what you sow is what you reap, right? It's a law of nature that is well understood that whatever you put in the ground is what you end up getting out of the ground. You don't have to be a gardener to understand this. Nobody questions it, and everybody understands it, that what you sow is what you reap. What we find is that the harvest is simply a reproduction of the seed that has been sown. Does that make sense? The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 8, whatsoever, uh, or sorry, whosoever sows injustice will reap calamity. Does that make sense? Of course, we can sit back on our comfy little pews here and say, sure, that makes sense. If you do bad, bad happens. If you do good, good happens. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what type of seed am I sowing? Therefore, what type of harvest am I going to have? Because what you sow in your life is what you will reap. And this is not any more true than when it comes to our character. Of course, if we sow the seeds of selfishness, self-love, self-exaltation, self-indulgence, these are seeds that will eventually reproduce themselves in the harvest. They will reproduce themselves in a very painful way. The fruit of these types of seeds is sadness, misery, and challenges in your life. If we live a life of selfishness, thinking and acting always on our own best interest, 
we are sowing to the flesh. And the Bible says that those who sow to the flesh will reap corruption. Now, it surprises me that when we sow bad things in our lives and bad things happen, it surprises me that every time people ask the question, why are these bad things happening in my life? Have you ever had that? Have you ever seen somebody do that before? Right? They, live a, they live a destructive life. They live a self-centered life. And then when it all comes back and the harvest begins to manifest itself in their life, they start to complain. Why do all of these bad things happen to me? Why, are, why does nobody want to be around me? Why is my family rejecting me? And all these types of things. When we understand the concept that what you sow is what you reap. You're not going to get something different than what you put in the ground. Therefore, what type of character you allow the Lord to develop in you will ultimately determine what type of harvest will be had. This is true in the story of Pharaoh. Ten times, Moses stood before him with the same message, let my people go. And every time Pharaoh heard that message, his heart got harder. He became more proud. He became fixed in that self, uh, selfishness, wanting to keep the slaves to work for him. And the more he became emboldened in that, the harder it was for him to change until ultimately he got to the point after serving self that he looked into the pale, dead face of his son. He reaped what he sowed. Ultimately, that didn't even change his heart. He continued to harden his heart. It got to the point where he found himself with the waters of the Dead Sea swallowing up all around him, destroying him, his horse, and all of his army. What you sow is what you reap. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 18, the Bible says this, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Somebody should say amen to that. Right? It goes both ways. It's not just the negative, but it's also the positive. When you sow righteousness, the Bible says that you have a reward that's coming your direction. If we sow love, sympathy, kindness, and selflessness, These are seeds that will be sown that the results will be very pleasant in our lives. Have you reaped some of these results? Oh, they're so wonderful, aren't they? When the time of harvest comes, it's a time of joy when we sow those kinds of seeds in our life rather than a time of sorrow. If we sow compassion and sympathy and love, we will reap the same things in our lives. I should give you some pause to think about if you are a parent. Now, I'm in the middle of this. You know I'm right in the thick of it as a parent. But this should give us some pause as parents, grandparents, whatever it may be, that what you sow in your children and grandchildren is what you will reap one day. Now, remember... They are free agents and they can choose. You might do everything right and they still might choose to not treat you in the kindest manner. But generally speaking, what you put into the relationship is what you will get out of that relationship. 
That's what the Bible's telling us here, right? So we want to sow righteousness. We want to sow good things in our lives so that the result is a positive thing. So when the harvest comes, there's a time of rejoicing rather than a time of lamenting. I thought about the story this past week of the uh, the widow, the nameless widow, who Jesus sat and observed in the temple one day. You heard the story about these men and women who were coming in and they were pouring in their great offerings into the offering plate, these huge offerings that they were giving. And then as this widow came in, perhaps she was shabbily dressed or whatever it may have been, she came in with, the Bible says, her two mites. And in fact, Jesus says, that she gave, she gave all that she had. That's it. There was nothing left in the bank account. There was nothing left for a rainy day. She didn't know how she was going to provide for tomorrow, but she came in with her two months. And as she came in to the temple, she saw all of these finely dressed men and women in their beautiful robes. She saw them pouring in these great big offerings into the coffer and walking away with an air of pride and self-sufficiency, that they had done some great thing for humanity. And her, there she stands with all that she has. And as she looks to the left and she looks to the right to see if nobody is watching and when she can steal a moment when no eyes are watching her, at least she thinks no eyes are watching her, she quickly throws in her two mites and walks away. But the eye of Jesus saw that, that sacrifice. He saw that and he quickly called over his disciples and he pointed out the example that that woman has, that that example that that woman had given them. And as a result, they wrote it down with the pen of inspiration and it has been preserved in the scriptures. And that story has been repeated time and time again for the past 2,000 years. How many times that story has been repeated, we do not know. But I wondered to myself, How much good has resulted or how much good has come as a result of that one woman giving everything that she had? Right, how many big offerings and small offerings have come into the offering plate of God that have helped advance his cause because the widow gave her two mites? Right, what you sow is what will be reaped. And she sowed a good example. And as a result, it has brought forth a bountiful harvest to the kingdom of God. I want to be like that widow, don't you? You know, just this past week, a week ago today, in fact, I was able to visit my parents' church down in Kentucky. They go to a small little country church. And because it was Thanksgiving weekend, there weren't very many people around. It was just a small group. But there was one family that came who had 10 kids. Now, when one family comes that has 10 kids, you don't need very many people in church, right? And I had heard about this family. You know, they, my mom had told me about them that they, they, they were all adopted kids. So I was curious to meet them. And, and sure enough, Sabbath came and... They asked me to preach, and I shared a short little message, but they came in, and all 10 of them came in. I was like, wow, this is a great big family. And then I, met, and then I saw the parents. And what I had not been told 
is that both of the parents were retirement age. And their youngest that they had adopted was five. They had fostered the kids for quite some years, and they decided that now they wanted those kids to be their kids. You, you may not know this, but you probably do. When, when you foster a child, you get help from the state. When you adopt them, they're your responsibility. And so they adopted these 10 kids. They had both lived separate lives. This was their second marriage. They had raised families in their previous marriage, but now when they came together, they decided that they were going to help some kids out. And it wasn't just a gathering of kids together just to have kids together. These were good kids that I could tell loved the Lord. As I interacted with them, as I talked with them, and they talked with me, I could tell that they had a love for the Lord. Of course, they had the struggles that any young person goes through, but they loved the Lord. And as I was reflecting upon that this past week in my preparation for this sermon today, it dawned on me that this family saved 10 kids who could have become outcasts in society and is giving them an opportunity to become kingdom builders. They're sowing good seed. They're not going to even see the results of many of those seeds that they sow. But they're doing it anyways. Because what you sow is what you will reap. It's also interesting to me, the second life lesson that we learn from seeds. Of course, we know that what you sow is what you reap. But the second thing we know from seeds is that you reap more than you sow. Is that not right? right? You reap more than what you sow. Now, I did a quick little search online, and I might be wrong about this. I'm no farmer. I'm no agricultural expert or anything like that. But what I found in my quick little Google search online is that if you put one grain of wheat in the ground, that one grain will produce somewhere around eight heads of grain. And among those eight heads of grain, there will be about 40 seeds in each head. Now, I did the math for you, so you didn't have to do it. That's somewhere around 320 seeds from one seed. Now, if you take those 320 seeds and plant them back into the ground again, you get somewhere around 102,000 seeds. And if you take those and plant them in the ground, I didn't do the math on that one. But you get the point, right? That what you reap, you reap more than what you sow. In fact, one grain of rice can produce somewhere around a thousand grains of rice. Right? You reap more than what you sow. And the Bible tells us in first, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6 that he which sows bountifully shall what? Reap bountifully. Listen to this from the book Educations, page two hundred or 109. It says, in the harvest, the seed is multiplied. It is what? A single grain of wheat increased by repeated sowings will cover the whole land with golden sheaves. Listen to this. Listen to this. So widespread may be the influence of a single life, even a single act. Somebody should say amen to that. 
that we have no concept of the result that can come from a life that is lived consecrated to God. It'll be like a, a one little uh, wheat grain that's been put in the ground that reproduces itself multiple times. That one little act, that smile, that kind, benevolent gesture can bring forth fruit that will eventually one day, by God's grace, cover an entire field with good deeds. I like that. I I really like multiplication. I like addition, but I like multiplication. So what I'm reading here this morning is that if we sow good things, we will reap good things, not in addition, but we will reap them in multiplication. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 20, the Bible says, Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters. Now, of course, those of us that are tuned into Bible prophecy, we understand that water represents something. What does it represent? Peoples, multitudes, nations. The Bible is simply saying that if we sow in, uh, as we, uh, if we sow beside all waters, if we sow beside all people, if we do good things to people, if we help where help is needed, we are blessed. Didn't Jesus say in Luke chapter six and verse thirty-eight, "Give and it shall be given unto you." Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and what? Running over shall men give into your bosom. That's multiplication. As you give, it's not addition. It's multiplication that comes as a result of giving. It is by casting the seed away that the sower multiplies the seed. Right? If you hold that seed to yourself, you just have one seed. But if you plant that seed in the ground and you do what you need to do to keep that seed growing, you will actually have much more Later on, won't you? Right. I read a book recently called Wind in the House of Islam. Fascinating book of how God is working among Muslim people. And it was story after story, but there was one particular story that just really got me. There's a story about a young man by the name of Thomas. He was 16 years old in the middle of high school. He was the son of a very famous imam, a religious leader in the Muslim religion. And Thomas would go to school and ask his teachers questions that they could not answer about his religion. And they would get very frustrated by these questions that he would ask. And they began to taunt Thomas, by calling him a Christian. Can you imagine? You know, that's kind of like the equivalent of what the names kids call each other in high school here. I won't mention any of them. And so Thomas, being a, you know, a little bit at a rebellious stage in his life, he thought, well, maybe I am a Christian, even though he didn't have any idea what that meant. And so he kind of embraced this identity to a certain degree, and he sought out a local missionary. This man was a Norwegian missionary who had come to Thomas's part of Pakistan. He had a long gray beard. He had served the Lord for many years. In fact, before this man came to Pakistan, he was a 
uh, missionary in India for 30 years. And he never had one convert. Then he moved to eastern Pakistan and served there for seven years. No converts. 37 years. No converts. And then Thomas has some questions. So this nameless Norwegian missionary, I don't know what his name is. It's not in the story. It was never preserved, I guess. This nameless Norwegian missionary who, by all appearances, by human perspectives, was unsuccessful as a missionary and needed to go back home, sat and patiently answered all of Thomas's questions about who God is, what he is doing. Question after question, he answered Thomas's questions until there was none, and Thomas accepted Jesus as his Savior. Now, you think it's good there, but keep listening. Thomas went home and told his father, again, he was, a, he was an imam, He told his father that he had accepted Jesus into his life. His father immediately on the spot disowned his son. He wouldn't even let his son go into the house to get his clothes. He excommunicated him from his family and from his community and told him to leave. Now, being just a young man, he didn't know how to provide for himself. So he left and he went to one of the big cities and he had to somehow make his way. It was a rough time for Thomas at this point, just given his heart to the Lord and lost his family. But God was looking down from heaven and kept his eye on Thomas, and he brought another missionary who was in the city where Thomas was working alongside him. And this missionary helped him, gave him food and water and clothes and, you know, place to stay and all that kind of stuff. And then he invited Thomas to study the Bible with him. And so they began to study the Bible together, day after day, week after week. They were studying the Bible and developed a friendship. And finally, Thomas, as he learned more from Scripture, he decided to get baptized. This is the son of an imam, steeped in Islamic religion. He has now accepted Christ as his personal. You have no, that would be like you converting to Islam. That's how radical of a transformation this is in this young man's life. It gets even better. The missionary says, listen, you can't stay here. You need to go back to your hometown and tell others what Jesus has done for you. We're disciples, right? And so Thomas said, okay. So he goes back and he hooks himself up with one of the local Christian churches and he begins to uh, grow this Bible study group. They meet every single morning at 6 a.m. Anybody want to sign up? And they study the Bible together, and Thomas shares with them all the things that he had learned from Scripture and his relationship with Jesus, and it was a great experience. And then one day, the local missionary in Thomas's town came to him and said, listen, Thomas, I have a problem. He said, what's that? He said, I've got six Muslim young men who have questions about Christianity. I have no background in, in, uh, in Islam, but you do, so maybe you can talk to them and answer their questions. And so Thomas goes and he meets with them, he sits and talks with them, and he can tell that they're very sincere, that they want to know more about God. And they eventually end up, all six of them, giving their heart to the Lord. Are you keeping track of what's going on here? 
Now, before Thomas tells him to go home, he says, listen, when you go home, don't tell anybody about Jesus. He says, listen, just live what the Bible says. People will see the difference in your life, and when they see the difference and they ask, then tell them about Jesus. So that's what they did. They didn't know any better. I mean, that's that's what they did. So they went back to all the different places. They lived their life, and one month later, one of those young men came back with 16 of the elders from his city all wanting to know more about Jesus. Those 16 leaders gave their heart to Christ. The next month, 16 more people showed up, gave their heart to Jesus. This happened month after month. For eight years, this took place. Hundreds of people who may not identify so much with Christianity but have given their hearts to the Lord, came to know Jesus. Because one Norwegian missionary who was unsuccessful for 37 years decided to take time and plant seeds. What's the second life lesson that we find? You you reap what you sow, but you also reap what? More than what you sow. He planted the seeds in the life of one man, and that one boy ended up producing hundreds of conversions to Jesus. Do you think that Norwegian missionary is going to be glad that he sowed those seeds? Do you want to meet him when you get to the kingdom of heaven? Just look for a man with a long gray beard. I don't know. But this is incredible. We're working on multiplication here. That when we sow, listen, we think that these good things that we do, these good seeds that we, the baskets that we gave away a couple of weeks ago, the clothes that we give away at Carly's Closet, the kind things that we do for people, we think that it's just hit and miss. But brothers and sisters, those are seeds that the Holy Spirit can sow or can, can water. And as he waters those seeds, they will produce fruit. You might not see the fruit, but it's going to produce fruit. It's none of our business whether or not we see the fruit. We just need to be faithful in sowing the seeds. Amen? Okay, so when you sow seeds, you reap what you sow. When you sow seeds, you reap more than what you've sowed. But the third life lesson that we learn from seeds is that when you sow seeds, you reap after you sow. When? You don't expect a harvest before you put the seed in the ground. Do you expect the harvest the next day? How about the next week? What about the next month? In other words, when you plant a seed, you need to have patience. Somebody ought to say amen. Here is the patience of the saints. Farmers have patience because they have faith in the seeds that they have sown. And they know that if they do their due diligence as a farmer, that seed is going to produce something. So they're willing to wait for the however months it is before that seed actually produces a fruit. But for some reason, we as Christians, we get a little impatient, you know, and we want to sow the seed and see an immediate result. We want to do a four and a half week campaign and then have a complete harvest at the end. 
right? We want to do things quicker. We want to cut the corner somehow. But we have to understand the agricultural cycle takes time. It doesn't happen right away. We got to sow those seeds and leave it with the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us, Jesus says, in John chapter 4 and verse 37, he says, one soweth and another reapeth. Sometimes you might not even see the fruits of your labor, but that doesn't matter. You might not see it here. You'll see it in the kingdom of heaven, of course, but we don't sow, we don't sow selfishly. We're not sowing because of what we're going to get. We're sowing because we want to bring glory to God. We want to build up his kingdom, and we want, to, we want others to experience the blessing that we are experiencing in our relationship with Jesus. But I need to warn you about something. They're called weeds. You ever hear of them? You like them? Do you have a garden of weeds? Don't answer that question. They're called weeds. And, you know, in in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us about this parable about a man who planted a beautiful field of wheat. I love seeing wheat fields when they grow up and the wheat's just kind of waving in the wind. Sunshine and blue sky and clouds. Just beautiful scene, right? And, and he sowed this beautiful wheat field. And one day his worker go, workers go out and they see this beautiful field of wheat. And as they're looking around, they see a weed. And then they see another weed. And it's not just a little bit here and a little bit there, but the more they look around, they're everywhere. And in fact, they're evenly distributed. It almost looks like somebody intentionally sowed those weeds among the wheat. And so they go to the landlord, the guy who owns the property, and say, what in the world happened here? Where did all of these weeds come from? And he immediately sees the hand of the enemy. He didn't do this. He sowed wheat, uh, wheat, not weeds, but he sees the hand of the enemy. Of course, Jesus identifies for us who that enemy is. It is none other than the devil himself that is sowing weeds among the wheat. Have you ever encountered any of those weeds in your life? Have you gotten discouraged by them? Have you thought, I'm going to give up on gardening altogether? I want to encourage you with something. As you continue reading the parable, yes, the wheat and the tares grow together, but in the end, there is a harvest. Amen? In the end, there is a harvest. Yes, the wheat and the tares have to grow together, and eventually they've got to be separated. But in the end, there is a harvest that takes place, and that's something to rejoice about. Let's not get all bogged down in the weeds and looking at this weed and that weed and another weed. Let's remember that in the end, the husbandman, when he thrusts in his sickle to harvest the wheat, there is a harvest, and I want to be part of that harvest. I want to take as many people with me as I can. I want to be a seed that God can use in multiplication. The Bible says in Psalms 126, verse 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Sometimes there's sorrow 
in our sowing. Seems like nothing is going our way, but in the end, there will be a harvest. I want to close with this statement from the book Education, page 110. I think it's very powerful and worth meditating on for a moment here as we wrap this up. It says, as we impart the blessings of this life, as we impart the blessings of what? Not that life, this life. What are the blessings of this life? Probably can think of a few curses in this life, can't you? Let me ask you a question. Is your bed a blessing? Is your warm house a blessing? Is the food on your table a blessing? Is the water that comes out of your faucet a blessing? Is your hot water heater a blessing? Is your car a blessing? Is the money that you have to put gas in your car a blessing? As we impart the blessings of this life. Notice it's not keeping the blessings, it's imparting the blessings. As we give, as we impart the blessings of this life, listen to this, gratitude in the recipient prepares the heart to receive spiritual truth. And a harvest is produced unto life everlasting. I don't think we get the power behind this statement. She is saying that when we bestow the blessings of this life on the life of other people, that the result is that it prepares them to eventually receive spiritual truth. Let me be clear with you this morning that blessings that she is talking about, the blessings of this life is not the truth of God's word. That's not what she's talking about. The blessings of this life that she is talking about are the physical needs that people have. And as we meet those physical needs, it prepares the way for them to accept the spiritual truth. Are you all with me this morning? Wasn't that a wonderful video we saw during personal ministry's time? I had to go back and watch it myself. I caught just a snippet of it. But that's what she's talking about. As we go and bestow the blessings of this life. You see, sometimes we get so caught up inside of our mind that we've got to do doctrine, 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 doctrine. That somehow we've got to cram this information down people's spiritual throats and recalibrate their minds. Let's take a step back. And before we do that, let's find some way to meet their needs. The spirit of prophecy tells us, and the Bible backs this up, that when you meet people's physical needs, they are more open to you meeting their spiritual needs. Because until their physical need is met, they don't even know they have a spiritual need. Sow those seeds. So as we go about helping wherever we can, meet people's needs, Speak words of cheer. Smile at a stranger who scowls at you. Help those who can't help themselves. Give somebody a hug who's in need. Spend an afternoon with someone who needs time of fellowship. Give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, clothes to those who need it. As we do these things, we are planting seeds that will produce a harvest. You might not see the harvest and it doesn't matter, but we are producing a harvest unto life everlasting. I'm excited for the plans that we have in our church in 2019. Our board last month approved our master plan of evangelism. 
We're going to roll that out here very soon. But I'm excited about the plans that we have for 2019. Looking for opportunities to bestow the blessings of this life on people in our community. But let me tell you something. Don't wait for it to become a church thing before you do it yourself. Don't wait for the church to back it up or for it to be on the master plan. Or Don't even wait until 2019. But find some way to bestow the blessings of this life on other people. You know, there's some people who are not going to even have a Christmas this year. Unfortunately, the holidays have become a very narcissistic thing where we think about bettering ourselves and our own personal families. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing that. But what, I'm also, what, but what I am trying to say is that it's also an opportunity for us to benefit other people and bless them as well. There are people in our community who are in need. God has provided us with many things that we can use to help meet those needs. You may not be the most financially rich, I understand that, but you can be like the widow with her two mites. For those of you that are on Facebook, I've been notified of something that you might like to take a look at this next week. One of our good members showed me or told me about this. And I will leave the person anonymous who told me about this. But it's a, it's a Facebook group called Muskegon Helping Muskegon. There's another one called Muskegon's Helping Hands. I looked at that this past week, and I was amazed at the amount of need that is out there. Of course, you know it intellectually, but to actually see it is quite a different thing. If you want to look for somebody to bestow the blessings of this life upon, go no further than those two Facebook groups. You will find one, if not more, people who are in need in our community. And you can go and sow good seeds in their life. Wouldn't that be a blessing? I don't know about you, but I enjoy helping other people. Don't you enjoy that? It just it kind of gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling, and, you know, they're happy and you're happy, and, 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 and you've got something done, and they're bettered as a result of it, and it just kind of makes you feel good. And I'd like to advise you that Christmas is a good time for us to do this very thing. So I want to encourage you, during this holiday season, this might not be your most traditional Christmas sermon, but that one's coming. But I want to encourage you this holiday season to think outside of yourself, outside of your family, and into your community, into your neighborhood, and you may even want to take a close look at what's going on inside our church. And you may find somebody who you can shower a few blessings upon and sow some seeds of kindness in their life as well. This is encouraging to me. And the reason why it's encouraging is because anybody can do this. Have you ever heard somebody say, I can't do Bible studies? What if they ask me the, a question I don't know the answer to? When you do this type of thing, you don't have to worry about that. 
There's no pressure trying to get that person to think a different way. There's no pressure about maybe offending them. There's no pressure about them asking you a question that you don't know the answer to. All of that is gone. You're just simply helping them. And people like to be helped. It's encouraging to me because the results that I see, that if I plant a good seed, something good is going to come from that. But not just one good thing is going to come from that, but multiple things are going to come from that. If I'm just a little bit of patience, have a little bit of patience, God will water that seed. It's encouraging to me. And so I want to encourage you this next week, this next month, Lord, give me a divine appointment. Help me to come across the path of somebody that I can bestow the blessings of this life on that will open their heart at some point when you see fit to spiritual things. How many of you want to do that? Amen. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom. Father in heaven, we thank you, Father, for all that you have bestowed upon us. So many blessings, Lord, that we are unworthy of. Father, we want to follow your leading in our lives. And we want to take these little seeds of kindness, selflessness, love, and we want to, we want to throw them out into our community into our neighborhood, into our family. And we want to just leave them there, Lord, for you to do your work of a miracle in germinating those seeds. Father, send your Holy Spirit to water them that there would be a bountiful harvest of life everlasting as a result. Father, I pray that you would give us a divine appointment this month to help somebody who is in need. Open our eyes, Lord, to what's going on around us. Let us bump into somebody. Maybe we can overhear a conversation. Maybe it's through Facebook. I don't know, but help us, Father, to bump into somebody this month that we can show love to in this season of giving. Thank you, Father, for blessing us richly, abundantly, more than what we deserve. May you guide us I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.